What's going on, Drinking Buddies? Brand new podcast coming right at you. But real quick, you know what we got to do first. We got to pay a couple bills in this motherfucker. First and foremost, we are brought to you by the video versions of this podcast. That's right. See the madness in full HD on Vimeo for $6 a month. Get you 101 video versions or 99 cents an episode. So you can just buy the one you like. Did I mention there's occasionally nudity in the video versions? Oh, yeah. There's occasionally nudity in the video versions. The video versions are also a lot less edited. No pre-roll ads. So you don't have to hear me babble about, you know, all the other stuff that's going on. So check those out today at anwd.net slash videos. Once again, that is anwd.net slash videos. We are also brought to you this week by my Twitch stream. That's right. Since the pandemic started, I have been Twitch streaming four or five nights a week. Come hang out at twitch.tv slash Slayer. Buy me a drink. Hang out in the chat. A lot of fun if you're into gaming. Come check it out once again at twitch.tv slash Slayer. And last but not least, if you are buying things on Amazon, do me a huge solid. Go to the Now We Drink website and click on one of my Amazon affiliate links. Costs you nothing but a couple of seconds and I get a kickback on every purchase you make on Amazon. In the pandemic, I know everyone's shopping on Amazon, so every little bit helps. I appreciate it. My guest this week is adult entertainment lawyer, Michael Federosi. Michael and I talk about a lot of crazy legal shit that's happening in the biz right now. His Italian export company, his life in Rotterdam. Michael's always a pleasure to sit down and bullshit with. He's been in the industry for fucking ever and knows a lot of like the inside baseball on the biz. So sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy, drinking buddies. How the fuck are you? I am stuck inside for a fucking year. That's how it is. A year? We are so behind. Yeah. Europe's so... I'm So everybody knows I live in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, not the United States anymore. I moved out here in like June 2019, enjoyed the first seven months, and then wham, you know, we get hit with COVID. And so they do a really shitty job here vaccinating people all through Europe. So we're into our third wave now and cases are going way up all across Europe, the Netherlands, Italy, Germany, France, Spain. So yeah, pretty much everything shut down here. The only thing that you can do is go to a grocery store or go to a pharmacy and they have a, cur- a curfew that is starting at 9 a.m. I mean, 9 p.m. and goes to 4.30 a.m. Wow, that that's so crazy, especially for the Netherlands, which is you know known for late night stuff. I know it's more Amsterdam than Rotterdam, but still, yep, everything's closed, and it's been this way since December. We've been under the curfew since February. We've been under the lockdown since December. Partial lockdown started in October, so we had like we had like two or three months last summer where it wasn't that bad, and you can do things, but. As soon as the fall hit, it went right back through the roof and they locked everything down. And they're probably not going to open it back up until summer, fall, 
because they're not going to get everybody vaccinated for a long time. We've only got like maybe five to 10% vaccination rate here, where I know the US is like at 25%. So nothing's happening here. That's wild, especially because like from the US side, it looks like Europe was handling it better than we were. We were. And then the United States stepped in with their money and stole all the vaccines. America, fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they did. I mean, the, the different and see, that's the that's the funny part. Everybody's like, oh, socialized medicine's wonderful. You know, America should have socialized medicine. Socialized medicine is shitty, really shitty. Okay. And so what people don't understand when it comes to medicine is you get what you pay for. And so when you're paying less, you're getting less. And so here throughout Europe, all of the countries negotiated low prices with the vaccine companies. And the United States stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to throw billions of dollars and we're going to be your partners in this. (laughs) And so, of course, who are the vaccine companies going to give the vaccines to first? America. And so that's why America is getting all the vaccines and that's why it's reopening. And that's why the economy is going to rebound in America first. And we're going to like drag, uh, drag here because of socialized medicine because everything has to be cheaper. Yeah. But you still have private options over there, don't you? Uh, not in the Netherlands. Okay. I mean, the Netherlands is a private option. It's socialized medicine, but it's, it's private. You, you got to carry insurance. But the insurance, but it's so cheap. The, the the insurance here, like, I think I pay like one hundred and sixty sixty dollars a month for insurance, um, and then you know you go to the doctor and it doesn't really cost you anything else. I, I think you have like a four hundred dollar deductible, so it's not true socialized medicine. It's just like a national health insurance plan, and you can pick from three or four insurance companies, but they're all the same price. You get all the same service and there isn't like, you know, a, a upper tier and a lower tier. It's everybody gets treated the same. Gotcha. Gotcha. But if you wanted to pay out of pocket, could you go to another doctor? No, no. Wow. <laughs> no, they don't even accept money here. <laughs> I went to one doctor and I was like, I, you know, I'm still new to the system. So I'm like, so do I pay, do, do I pay at the reception? And he's like, what do you mean pay? I was like, well, I got to, you know, he like he did a like a, a minor procedure. And he's like, no, 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 you're we send it to your insurance. And I'm like, I don't have to. Nope, don't have to pay anything. Yeah, I, I get that. Like you get what you pay for. But it's also I think having something is better than absolutely nothing. There's so many Americans that are like, yeah, have to make the choice of be getting no treatment or being crippled by debt. Well, yeah. But everybody. And, Anybody who has money in Europe goes to America for serious treatment. Like, there's no preventative medicine here. There's no like yearly checkups. There's no mammograms. There's no colonoscopies. You know, and I, I, you know, I have cancer, right? Yeah, I didn't. Okay. I didn't want to bring it up if you weren't bringing it up. I, I'm fine with it. I've been fighting it for five or six years now. And so when I first got here. Like I went to my general practitioner. It's like one big HMO. You got to start with the the, the the GP. So he he just simply didn't believe that I had cancer. And I brought all of my medical files from UCLA and I put it on a zip drive. And I was like, here. He's like, oh, I can't touch that. I'm like, why? He's like, because it could be infected with a virus. I go, all of my medical records are on there. You just have to, nope, can't touch it. Well, what do I have to do? You have to go print it out and bring it to me. 
there was like 800 pages I had to print out and bring it to him. And then, of course, he only looked at like 10 of them. And then finally, when he saw them, which took me six months, six months to get a referral to an oncologist. That's wild. That's that's the socialized medicine system. If you die before if you die before you get treatment, you don't cost anybody anything. It's really it's really hard to get referrals here. It's really hard to get referrals. I've known people who have broken bones. They won't even refer you. How does what? Huh? How does that work? Yes. What, what? How does it work? I mean, like, well, I mean, the, the, obviously it's not working if you have a broken bone and they're just like, best of luck to you. Well, the the GP is the gatekeeper, okay? He's the person or she's the person, the doctor, that prevents you from getting more care than what you need. That's the way they look at it. So if you go to a GP and you're like, oh, you know, my arm hurts. You know, the, the old saying in America is like, we'll take two aspirin and call me in the morning. That really happens here. It's not aspirin, no. It's um, I can't even remember the name of it. It's like Tylenol, and that's what they do. That that they just tell you to take two of these things and see how it feels tomorrow. If it feels worse tomorrow, come back and we'll take a look at. It. I it, I'd be amazed if there wasn't like bribery happening with GPs. Like, yo, doc, oh, oh, I no, 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 no. They pay GPs for not referring people out. They do because it costs the system less. That's yeah, why. exactly. So if you're one of those GPs that is nice and you're constantly referring your patients out to other doctors, you're going to get a stern warning from the national healthcare system. Wow, that's that's mm-hmm. broken as fuck too. Yep. But nobody goes broke here. They just die. <laughs> well, uh, they just die here too. I mean, obviously so. that is not a good system. So yes, we are in lockdown <laughs> and I am staying in my house with my dog. Well, it's also sitting over, sleeping on the couch. Is that uh, your same dog from the States? No, no, no. I got a rescue here. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. When a couple months after COVID started, I was like, you know, I want a dog. So, and there, you can't, there are no stray dogs in the Netherlands. There are no rescues in the Netherlands. So it took me like three months to rescue a dog. Because they fly them in from other countries. That, why? Because you can't breed dogs here. Like breeding a dog or breeding dogs to make money is a highly illegal business. Highly regulated by the state. They catch you. It's, I don't know if it's a crime or a big fine, but you don't see stray dogs. You don't. There aren't, there aren't um, dog pounds where you can go and rescue a dog. You literally have to wait for... And there's probably only maybe 10 of them in the entire country, uh, adoption agencies to get dogs. And then there's like 10 people for every dog that they get. So you have to be like first in line. So, yes. So I rescued her. I got lucky. I was like online seven minutes after the picture was posted. And when I went to go rescue her, I, I told the woman, I said, well, she's wonderful, but I'm not sure. She's like, well, that's okay. There's 10 people behind you that'll take her. So if you don't want her, just let me know. I'm like, no, 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 I'll take her. <laughs> it's like getting a rescue dog here is like winning the lottery. Yeah, the, the description of it sounds like you're waiting for Ticketmaster's website for a concert you really want to see that you know you're going to sell out. Just refreshing the page until it's like, oh, there's the ticket. Got that, it. That's that's exactly what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> and they're all like my my dog's Romanian. There's a bunch of rescues from Spain. 
Um, there's some from Italy, but usually it's like the Southern European states where they come from. That's wow. It's a it's it's a different life here. It's a much much different life. Um, I've only been to the Netherlands. I've only been to Amsterdam, and like I, I'm on record saying it was not exactly my favorite place. Amsterdam's cool. I, I really recommend that anybody who's listening to this, if you ever have a chance to move to Europe for a year or a couple of years just to try it out, you should do it. Oh, I mean, I would definitely do it, but like the Netherlands wouldn't have been my choice to go to. Well, the Netherlands is easy to get into as an American. Really? We have something called, well, that's why I'm here. We have something called the DAFT, Dutch American Friendship Treaty. <laughs> Usually it's really hard to get into European countries especially because America makes it really hard. But what they do here in the Netherlands is you open up a business, you deposit like $5,000 into the bank. As long as you don't have a criminal record, you're in. And so you're in for two years. And then as long as you don't spend that $5,000 and you don't commit any crimes here, then you get renewed for five more years. But then after that, seven years is the max. Then you have to like either, either you go home or you apply for citizenship. And to become a citizen, though, you have to learn Dutch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not staying in the Netherlands. Seven <laughs> years. I'm learn- I can't. I've been here two years. I can't speak a word of Dutch. Dutch is one of those languages. I was just like, uh, yeah, does not compute. Yeah. And but what's great about the Netherlands is 72, 73 percent of all the Dutch speak English. And it's not even like a little bit of English. They speak nearly fluent English. Because most of the TV here, except for the Dutch channels, is all English. Like I get a lot of American channels and they don't dub it. They they subtitle it with Dutch words. So as you're growing up as a kid, you're listening to American, you know, or English language programs and you're seeing the subtitles. So it's very easy for the Dutch to learn uh, English. So it's very easy to be, you know, uh, an immigrant. I'm an immigrant in uh, in the Netherlands. So. Yeah, I, I can imagine that it'd be easier there than, like, say, Spain or Italy, where at least my experience with Spain was almost nobody spoke English. Yeah, well, it depends where you go. I, I like mean, in I, was Italy, in, I was in city center Madrid, and... They didn't speak English there? Nope. I, I A little, a little, like, I went into a jewelry store, like, bought a ring, and I'm like, um, poquito espanol, hablo inglés, and he's like, poquito... We, we made it. We made it work, but it wasn't like anyone was fluent. Wow. Usually, yeah. I, I guess there's less English-speaking tourists there. Like in Italy, you can you can go to Rome, you can go to Venice, you can go to Florence. You know, you go to the major cities, and if you go into the center of the cities, there's always a ton of people that speak English, just because of the influx of American and British tourists. Well, I have a feeling if I was in Barcelona or Ibiza, it might have been a little better. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I don't think Madrid's as much of a destination for Americans as those two spots. No, probably not. But hell, I think as Americans we should try to adapt a little more too. And so just being like, "What you don't speak English? Fuck." <laughs> yeah, there's like it's you know, it's amazing. Usually Americans are lucky if they're bilingual, and if they're bilingual, it's usually Spanish and English. 
Um, there's very few people in America that I know that are trilingual. And uh, there's so many people in Europe that are, you know, trilingual, even quadlingual. They'll know three, four, five, six languages. Oh, you no. know, they won't they won't be fluent in all of them, but they'll be at least conversational. Oh, I know. It's it's wild. When I was in Finland, I just went to a random bar in Helsinki and like sat down, started bullshitting with like this heavily tattooed punk rock couple. And she, the the female was like, Oh yeah, I speak five languages. Her husband's like, I speak seven. Like they start teaching, you know, English to us at like third grade here. And it's like, why, why are we so fucking far behind the curve on that shit? Like French and Spanish are optional in most cases for Americans. Well, because he, he, here's the difference. We're never going to use them. Okay. Uh, Spanish, we definitely could Spanish, use. Spanish, yes. Yeah, Spanish, yes, but not not French, not Italian, not uh, Polish, not Russian. And like literally, and and the thing that I've learned because I've been, you know, I've lived here for two years, but I've been traveling to Europe probably for the past fifteen years, and usually it's been Italy. And I'm very weak on my Italian, and it's not because uh, it, it's really because I, I would spend a month or so in Italy. And while I'm there, I, I start to pick it up. But then when you come back to the United States, unless you have somebody who you can conversate with constantly, you lose those skills. And so Americans don't, you know, we, I, I live in a place where within an hour each way I can hit, you know, three different languages in America, you, you know, you're going to go to Canada you're going to speak English. So the only place you can really go that's remotely close is, is Mexico. And they're only going to speak Spanish. So you're not really going to use the language that much. It's true. True. And especially depending on where you're going in Mexico, they may be speaking English to you. Cause a yeah. lot, a lot of Americans are like, Oh, I'm just going to go to Cancun and go to a resort. Well, yeah. yeah even, even Tijuana has a ton of English signs and span and english speakers oh 100 i don't think i had to really you know i've only been to tj a couple of times but i don't think i had to use any fucking spanish when i was down there nope americans are just like oh no we expect you to cater to us we expect you to speak our language well listen english is the language of money okay and that's the truth you know english is is all about financial so that's why a lot of people speak english because a, a lot of universities around the world, you know, they teach classes in English because they want their students to be able to get jobs anywhere, especially in financial sections. So, you know, English is the language of Wall Street. So if you want to go into finance, you better learn English. Yeah. And then English is also the language of most popular entertainment, too. So if yeah. you're an entertainer, you probably got to learn some English. Mm hmm. So it, it makes sense, but it's also, I think it's really wrong for when Americans travel abroad to just expect other people to cater to us. Yeah. Uh, you're talking to an American who lives in the middle of a city where everybody speaks English. So I, I, it would be hypocritical for me to say that I agree with you because I, I haven't learned Dutch. I don't plan on learning Dutch. I can't speak. I don't even try it. I like, it's, it's not even a situation where I'm trying to learn it and I'm bad at it. I'm just like, fuck it. Everybody here speaks English. Why bother? Uh, so it's fair. And like, I, I couldn't pick up any Dutch phrases when I went there. Cause like pretty much everywhere I go, I try to at least learn a couple phrases and I couldn't pick up Dutch. I couldn't pick up Finnish. Like I just, my brain was like, those characters don't make sense. I, yep. I don't even know how to pronounce like, thank you. Well, 
Thank you, Will. Yeah, it was just, nope, nope, nope. But I also, like, if someone was rude to me because I didn't speak their language, I also get it at that point. Like, I'm not going to be offended. No. I haven't, I, I have not at all run into that here. I, another one, <laughs> yeah, I didn't run into it at all in Amsterdam. I mean, everybody, everybody spoke English. Yeah. Especially because I was in Amsterdam and I was mostly in tourist areas. So, of course, they all fucking speak English. Well, Amsterdam is no longer going to be a tourist city. They have taken away the red light district and they are taking away the coffee shops. That's wild. That's, that's what the city is primarily known for internationally. They, they don't want to be known for that anymore. So what they're, do, what they're doing is they, they're forcing the sex workers to an outside like hotel setup. Um, not that you or I have ever been to a brothel in Prague. <laughs> but if you had ever heard about a brothel in Prague, they kind of use that system there where instead of walking down the street and having red lights, the brothels in Prague are more like uh, apartment buildings where you walk down the hallways and it's sort of like a circle and you kind of circle around and pass by all the different providers in the, in the doorways of their little tiny one room apartments. So that's what they're going to do with the red light district. They're kicking the women out and kicking the guys out and kicking the transgenders out into a hotel setting outside the main city area. And the only reason why they're doing that is because the property that they use is just so expensive now that it's a, it's a land grab. They're trying to take back that part of the city and turn it into multi-million dollar homes and restaurants and things like that. And so they don't want that type of tourists coming to the Amsterdam anymore. And they're getting rid of the coffee shops because they don't want that type of tourists coming to Amsterdam anymore. They want wealthy, rich people that are going to go to shows and museums and spend money at cafes, not drunk uh, Italians or high Italians and drunk uh, British. Because <laughs> anytime, that's the funny thing. I always have to fly into Amsterdam when I come back here. Rotterdam doesn't really have an airport, so I got to fly into Schiphol. And so, you know, you can, if I ever come through the UK, it's always guys that are going to uh, uh, Amsterdam for the escorts. And if I'm ever flying back from Italy, it's always Italians that are coming up to smoke weed at the coffee shops. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, why the rest of Europe just isn't, like, embracing weed and prostitution at this point. Oh, a lot of Europe does. Um, prostitution is legal in a lot of parts of Germany. Um, uh, what's the name? I can't remember the one name of the German town that has a great red light district. Um, I'm pretty sure Austria has legalized prostitution. Well, um, Germany is also well, kind of... Europe's Alabama, their their age of consent's fourteen. What is Germany's age of consent? Fourteen. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't want to know why you know that. It's a joke from Archer. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yeah, like there there's an episode from like season two where um a German aristocrat is hitting on him and he's just like, Oh my god, you're too young. And she's like, Oh, but the age of consent's fourteen in Germany. And I went and Googled it. I'm like, is that real? And it's real. Wow. I'm like, what the hell, Germany? I did not know that. <laughs> Germany is very American, though. Germany is very much like America. So, you know, if that's a country 
Berlin's another country that, or um, another city where you can go to and get away with not speaking German and do just fine. But in Germany, because of the influence of America after World War II, they're like a little mini USA. Even even their approach to business is like a mini USA, where most of Europe or they're lazy. Not Germany. Germany's you know, Germany's on top of their shit. You know, here nobody works past five o'clock. Getting some, nobody works on the weekends. Like when you're looking for a house or an apartment, you have to take off time from your job to meet with the real estate agent because they work nine to five Monday through Friday only. That's so for, like, that's just such a weird concept to me. Yeah. And, but I'm sure if you worked a normal job there, your employers understand that and be like, okay, take the time off to go do it. Yeah. Yeah, dry cleaners aren't open on the weekends. Like they're open to like five thirty, so you have to run there before they close. I mean, there's just so many different things, like little ticky tacky things like that, where you're just like, yeah, society could be so much improved if they would just change their hours a little bit. Are bankers keeping like traditional, you know, traditional banking hours? Where like, no, they're actually open later, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for, for the most part, yeah, pretty the overtime is frowned upon here. You know, if, if, if you're looking for a lifestyle change where work isn't primary, then the Netherlands is a good choice because literally they do they do try to balance the work and family types of time. Like they don't want people working past five because they think that they should be enjoying their families. Well. And I agree with that. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes in America, we do overwork ourselves. We do. But there's got to be a little bit more balance than than that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. The only problem comes in is when you're trying to balance it and you're trying to get shit done at the same time. Yeah, when you can't, like, go view apartments on the weekends and you can only do it on, like, a Wednesday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, it's really tough. Or if you want to go pick up your dry cleaning, you got to leave work early to get there by 5.30 to make sure that they're open and they're not open on Saturdays or Sundays. Or have to run out on your lunch break and not eat lunch or some shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, Germany, pretty much everything's closed in Germany on Sundays because they're a Christian um, uh, country. So they still have the, the closed on Sundays rules. So all the Germans, all the Germans come in on to, to the Netherlands on Sundays to shop. I mean, it is a quick, pretty quick flight. Well, no, driving I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's a quick drive, too. Yeah. Oh, I know. Like, when we were there, we went to Oktoberfest. We bounced over to Munich for a couple of days. And we were thinking about driving it because it was only like a seven-hour drive. Yeah. But it was like, eh, it's an hour flight. Might as well just do the, do the flight, spend less time out of the world. Get to me to get drunk. Yeah. So I'm sure you don't want to talk to me all about Europe and Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Not not all, but this is definitely interesting, you know, what you've been up to for the last two years. Well, I mean, the reason why I moved here is because I started an import-export company. And so that was the business that I started and just got it going right before COVID hit. And we were going to sell to, you know, restaurants and grocery stores throughout the Netherlands. And I was importing uh, really nice, really good, authentic Italian food from Southern Italy. And we were going out and trying to sell it to, you know, the, the restaurants, the good Italian restaurants, good Italian grocery stores. 
And then within like three months, COVID hit. So then we pivoted to a online uh, B2C where now I'm taking the same th- the, the the same goods and I can ship wine to America and we are selling online to America and to Europe. So I've got a website for that. MassaImportsBV.com and we have free shipping to America. Hell yeah. And but you but you can't buy everything you want. Shipping's too expensive. So I had to put together like pre-assembled boxes, pasta, tomato sauce, olive oil. And then you can choose some like two or three different boxes I think we have. And then I've got like three, maybe, yeah, three different wine boxes that you can choose from, like assortments of red, assortments of uh, of white. And then I have my own wine that I'm producing. So you can get a box of that. But yeah, that's that's kind of why I came here. I came here for two. Well, I came here for two reasons. That and I, I had I already had a lot of European clients as a porn attorney. So it was it was kind of I. I always enjoyed being in Europe when I would visit because America doesn't wake up until, you know, it's three, four o'clock in the afternoon here. And that's New York time. And a lot of times, a lot of my clients are West Coast. So they're not coming online until like now, like what we're talking about. You're now almost one o'clock in L.A. And this is early for me. I woke up for you, Michael. Oh, and so here it's 10, it's almost 10, 9, 9.45. So what's great about it, <coughs> excuse me, is that I get to have like two different days. Like if it wasn't COVID and I wasn't locked in my house, you know, I could spend the day uh, traveling or sightseeing or going to the gym or doing whatever I wanted to do during a normal day and then start work at about 5.30 my time. And then work until about two o'clock in the morning. And so that that's the perfect day for me because I get to do whatever I want during the day. And then at night when I'm home anyway, I work. So, but now with COVID, I'm just home all the time and it sucks. Yeah. Sucks for everybody who's doing it responsibly. It- yes. Well, you guys will be out of it by midsummer. I think by, by, you know, June, July, I think probably most Americans will be vaccinated and your cases will be really low. Yeah. But we won't. I'm, I'm hoping so, but uh, and there's still a lot of anti-vax trends and people being irresponsible now. So we'll see. Well, they'll, well, they'll end up getting COVID anyway and they'll have Im- immunity. So they'll, they're, they're going to get vaccinated when either they're going to die or they're going to have antibodies. So, but the antibodies um, only last like, Three to six months. So, well, these shots are only going to last that long. You know, they're not going to last forever. I foresee a future where we are getting COVID like booster shots every three to six months. Like, there's a new strain, go get your booster shot. Or, oh, you're about to travel to Europe or you're about to travel someplace, go get a booster shot. You know, it's going to be one of those things where it's just constantly you're just re-energizing your immune system against new COVID strains. Fun. Super looking yeah. forward to it. I'm, I get my first vaccination shot on Tuesday. So, Yeah, look at that. See, so, so here's the difference. So I'm extremely high risk in the Netherlands. Like I've, I've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. And that, that cancer attacks my lymph nodes and B cells of my immune system. So I have a very weak immune system. So people who have blood cancers, 
they have a death rate of like 33 to 50% from COVID. Like literally, like you have a one in two or two in three chance of dying from COVID if you catch it, if you have my blood cancer. So I'm extremely high risk. I am getting my appointment next week too. That's like you're not, are, are, are you high risk? I mean, I'm fat. So the, the I fall into the, I technically am obese. That, so. That's 90% of America. Yep, yep. They're like, are you obese? I'm like, yes, I am. I'm going to have another yes, cheeseburger. Uh, and I smoke. Come on. <laughs> Give me my shot. I only smoke cigars. I mean, it's not quite the same. <laughs> so, yeah. So here it's just, you know, it's very tough to get the vaccine. I just saw in America that they're opening up like CVS stores and pharmacy shops where you can just walk in and you know, give him give me a shot. Well, at least in California is still basically trying to like buy concert tickets. It's a lot of like once you qualify, there's a site called My Turn CA where you're just like basically refreshing it for appointments. Really? Yep. Uh, just like okay, they open the fucking appointment. I don't care what time it is. I'll take it. I'll I'll get up whenever the fuck I have to to get it. I'm still waiting on my phone call to tell me when my appointment is. But anyway, so porn. Are we going to talk about porn? Yeah, I think we should talk about porn. I mean, I I think part of my audience is interested in pornography. I think, (laughs) maybe. Well, the whole porn world's changing right now. Uh, I know. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've been watching these Nicosi lawsuits. Have you seen those? No, I I don't know anything about them. Oh, okay. So there did you ever hear of the group Morality in oh, Media? That I okay. yeah. Okay. So Morality in Media has been around for 60 years and they've been fighting against porn that entire time. Except in about 2015, they went sneaky and they changed their names. And they changed it to the National Coalition of Sexual Exploitation or something like that. Yeah. Nicosi. N-C-O-S-E. So they used to try to do a lot of lobbying to get the federal government to pursue obscenity cases against porn companies. And so they've kind of dropped that idea. And now what they're doing is they've hired law firms from all over the country to bring lawsuits under the sex trafficking acts against platforms as well as producers. So there was a case I was involved with out of uh, San Diego. I can't really talk about it. But that case uh, involves um, some better known old school um, uh, studios, Third Degree, Black Ice, Zero Tolerance, Elegant Angel. And so they've also filed a lawsuit against Pornhub, I believe. And they've also filed a lawsuit now against X videos and uh, Flirt for Free plus a lot of associated companies. It's not just those main ones, but there's a lot of other companies that they file against, but they are going after, they're really going after the producers. They're going after the platforms. You know, I would not be surprised if at some point OnlyFans is on their list to sue. Uh, it only makes sense that they're trying to go after the big platforms. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with the big platforms because I think they're underestimating how much money the big platforms make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the big platforms can, can, can handle these litigation costs. Okay. Without, without even blinking an eye, they can handle these litigation costs. Oh yeah. Smaller. What? Oh yeah. They can. I mean, hell looking at OnlyFans alone, 
what Bella Thorne generated how much revenue for them in a day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in one day, the a platform could pay for its attorney's fees for the year. Um, but some of the smaller studios, if they started going after them, then it would be very problematic and it would be it, it would literally wipe out a lot of the smaller studios if they if they went down a couple of notches from the big platforms. But I don't I don't know how interested they are in that. They want headlines. They want to take out the big guys. But, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be stuck with that type of litigation in this industry for the next couple of years. And they're just claiming that willing performers are tra- being trafficked. Like, what's the nature yeah, of the? Pretty much. Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're trying to use every means available. Like, um, one of the things that was brought up is like, if the studio didn't pay the model directly, but instead paid the agent, that could be evidence of sex trafficking. Okay. So a lot of times uh, there were cases or there were situations where agents said to producers, don't pay the model, pay me, and then I'll pay the model. Well, to them, that means the model never got paid. And therefore, if the model's not getting paid, that's sex trafficking. Okay. And so the other thing that they're doing is saying, well, if the company didn't give the model copies of the model release she signed in the 2257 documents that she signed, that's also evidence of sex trafficking. Why would they possibly hide that from her? Because there's obviously something in those documents that they don't want her to see that even though it's not coercive physically, it's coercing her through her waiving certain rights that she may not be aware of when she's signing these. And I've always had a problem with that. I've always, as an attorney in this industry, have always told my clients, give the models or whoever it is. I I don't care if it's a model. I don't care if it's a content creator. I don't care if it's a co-producer. If you sign a contract with somebody, you both should receive a copy of it. It's very basic legal shit. You sign it. You get a copy. They sign it. They get a copy. But for the most part, I mean, you've talked to how many porn stars and know how many porn stars? How often do they walk off set with a copy of a model release? Zero, exactly. Yep. Oh, hell, I mean, yeah. hell, even his crew, you know, signed 2257 paperwork sometimes. It's like, I've never gotten a copy of it. Yeah. I also. It's not sex trafficking. Yeah. It's not sex trafficking. I don't they know. just think that they just take the position of, why would you want a copy? And so they and there's nobody really asking for copies of it. So it's just developed into a, a standard and practice where we just don't give copies to models. Yeah. Well, and since you have to publicly, you know, stay where the records are stored, theoretically a model could request it, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. Yeah, they could. Very much so. So But that's but but that's the whole point though, is that you know you have an outside group like Nicosi who doesn't understand the, stand, the the customs and the practices of the industry, and they're and they're and they're grasping at straws, so to speak, to try to get towards a claim of sex trafficking. Don't you have better things to do with your time? No, that's all that they do. They all they want to do is get rid of porn. It is the big evil in the world. They want to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the violence and on you know. Actually, trafficked people aren't a problem. No, just no. porn. Willing, just consensual porn. adults making things for other adults. Yes, that needs to go. So, 
that's that's kind of in, in my realm, my universe, that's still a pretty big deal. Or it has been a pretty big deal for a while now because that's sort of where, you know, the the hot button litigation is. You know, we, we go through, you, you've been around, how many years you've been around? 10 plus? 10 plus. Yeah. So you've seen it like, you know, uh, a while back it was Cal OSHA and everybody was afraid of Cal OSHA. Oh, yeah. Cal OSHA is coming to my set and I'm getting fined by Cal OSHA. You know, and then it was the condom issues. And, you know, so we we go through these things in the industry that last anywhere from, you know, six months to several years where it's a new, you know, hot button topic. So I think this is the hot button topic right now when it comes to the to to the legal side of the business. Are you going to have to come back to the states to litigate any of this stuff or? Uh, You know, that's a see, that's the really that's the one thing that I'm happy about COVID. It has taught judges to do everything remotely. Like last, not last summer. Was it last summer? Yeah, last summer. Or was it the summer before? I. It's all blending together. I did a depot from Rome. So, if you know, I, I don't need to be in a courtroom anymore. You know, we're doing this now. And most courts now have Zoom call-ins. So judges don't want to, you know, judges are old. They don't want a bunch of lawyers in their courtroom coughing it up and spreading COVID. So they're happy with call-ins or Zooms now. You know, clients, everybody's gotten used to to remote. So, you know, I've been doing this since 2009. I've been remote, basically. So to me, my world, my life hasn't really changed. So everybody else's lives have changed when it comes to remote working. Do you think post-COVID, like, the courts are going to stay doing remotes? Oh, yes, they have to. Once the eviction proceedings start, <laughs> the courts are going to be so jammed up, it'll be absolutely ridiculous. Trying to sue somebody in a post-COVID world will take five years in America. Oof. Because all of the people who haven't paid their rent are not going to pay their rent in the next, you know, whenever COVID ends. And so, you know, at some point, the landlords are going to be like, I want my money or you need to get out. And those eviction processes are going to start and they're going to overwhelm the courts. And so, you know, you can't. Cases will just, you know, overflood because we don't we don't have the money to build new courthouses and hire new judges and do all of that. So a lot of things will probably end up in private mediation or private arbitration just to speed things up. But if you're a defendant, you know, and you're getting sued by somebody, why do you want to do that? You can just go, eh, I'll see you on the courthouse in five years. Good luck litigating. Yeah. I'll probably still be living in your building then. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so, yeah. L.A. has made it like in COVID. They a lot of cases can't even evict for cause right now. Yeah, what was that? They can't even evict for cause in a lot of cases right no. now. No, there's 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 moratoriums. My downstairs neighbors, they would have evicted for noise violations at this point, but they can't because you can't evict for nuisance even. Yeah, yeah. If you're a dead a deadbeat renter, you're you're set. You're set. Fuck! I should just and, stop paying my rent. <laughs> and and if you're a small landlord, you're fucked. You know, big landlords, multi, you know, big corporations can take that hit a lot easier than, you know, people, especially people like people who got into the Airbnb game and stuff like that. They're getting killed. Oh, yeah. They're getting killed. 
You know, like, oh, I'll get an Airbnb and rent it out and I'll make this much and I'll pay my mortgage off of it. That's all shut down now, along with the rents. Oh, yeah. There's definitely people that are like, oh, hey, I got fucking five apartments that are all Airbnb in a major city. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody saw this coming. No. But the other issues that I see, you know, what I'm seeing a lot now, too, not I'm seeing it personally, but... Social media, I think at some point is going to be closed off to adult. You know, I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm watching. It's not even seeing because it's been happening forever. How many people are losing their Instagram accounts? You know, how many people are getting kicked off of Twitter? So I think eventually what's going to happen is adults are going to be kicked off all of the mainstream platforms, especially when they change Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And that's the other thing that they're really pushing for right now, you know, and it's odd because it's the one thing that the Democrats and the Republicans agree upon, surprisingly. You know, they both want Section 230 rewritten so they can both punish uh, Facebook and Twitter and all these social media platforms for the way they handle political issues. But they don't realize how, you know, how that's going to fundamentally change the Internet. You know, it's not... It's not just an issue for big companies. It's an issue for, you know, even smaller companies, even small porn companies. Uh, Section 230 protections are the backbone of what allows a lot of people's websites to, to stay up. At that point, and when it changes, do you think porn's going to be pushed to essentially the dark web where you're going to have to jump on a you know Tor browser to be able to find a porn site? No. Not that no. bad. No, I don't think so. Not at all. I mean, I've got one client, the sharesome.com that they've got 11 million members. They're sort of like a, a Twitter. They're like a Twitter slash only fans uh, website where, you know, you can share pictures, you can look at pictures or you can monetize content. So, you know, we're just going to be kind of regulated to, you know, not safe for work websites. You know, and that's just something that people, I think, are going to have to get used to. It's going to make marketing a lot harder. Yeah, marketing's already pretty fucking difficult. You know, people are getting pulled from Instagram just for marketing their other yeah. sites. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's going to make, especially, you know, again, it, it, it's going to make the haves and the have-nots a lot uh, more separated in porn as far as the content creators on OnlyFans. Because if you already have a nice buildup of fans and you can maintain that, you can make a lot of money on OnlyFans. But if you're a, a new performer, content creator coming in, it's really hard to build up those kind of numbers. And especially if you take social media out of the equation, how, how is that, that performer, that content creator going to build that following? Yeah, because If you can't do it on Instagram, if you can't do it on Twitter, how are they going to reach anybody? Right, and especially if they're not shooting for a studio that has some marketing behind them. Like, you know, occasionally doing a scene for a bigger studio. How are yeah. anyone ever going to find them? Well, which may be, which may be interesting because when I got into porn so many years ago, 2003, uh, 18 years, <laughs> um, it was all about the new girl. You know, like even AVN, I, I think they still have it. I don't know if they have it, but they used to do fresh off the bus. And it was about like, 
you know, the girl who just arrived in Porn Valley, who's about to shoot her first scene, those new girls would drive the industry because everybody wanted to shoot the new girls. And then social media rose. And then we went back to the star base system, you know, like how it used to be with Vivid and Wicked and all of those companies. Now, now people were able to analyze their traffic and go, oh, wait, that new girl, while she's hot, nobody's seen her before. She also doesn't have a following and she doesn't have fans. So we don't want to shoot her anymore. We want to shoot the girls that have, you know, a million plus followers or are in the top whatever creators on OnlyFans or however they do their, their analytics. And then a lot of those new girls got cut out from getting shot because they weren't selling. And now it may go right back to that. So everything that's old is new again. True, true. But it'll be interesting. And I still think OnlyFans is going to continue to wildly change the industry. Because it's... In what way? What do you mean? Well, because there's a lot of performers that are talking about, like, I'm never going to go back on a studio set again. I don't need to. They don't have to. Yeah. Absolutely not. But but the newer ones will, yes. But uh, can... Small, like smaller productions actually survive on just newer girls, though. We'll see. That's an interesting question. I think the answer is yes. All right. I think the right studio who knows how to market. Okay. I mean, he, here's the thing you got to think about porn in a sense of what's it there for? Okay. The vast majority of guys in this world have sex with the same woman over and over again. So porn acts as a fantasy, okay? It's that ability to fantasize that you're having sex with somebody other than your girlfriend, fiance, or wife. And I'm sure, not to be sexist, I'm sure it acts like that for women as well. I'm sure it acts like that for everybody who watches it. It's, it's, it's a fantasy. So if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're trans, it's, it's all about having that fantasy. And so what I think happens is now the reason why OnlyFans is so popular is because now you can actually get to talk to your favorite porn star. Okay. But that even is going to become old hat after a while because you're sort of like, okay, well, I talked to my favorite porn star, A, B, C, and D. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out of favorite porn stars. I like, you know, I joined hers for two months and I joined hers for two months and I joined hers for two months and I talked to them and I got to know them and, I don't don't know if I want to sign back up and just talk to them forever. And so where's my attention going to go as far as a, a male buyer? And I think that male buyer is going to turn back towards the amateur girl, the, the girl that he's never seen before, the new girl, the, the fresh off the bus girl. So that's why I think that the right studio shooting the right content with the right new performers could actually do very well. Oh, I hope so. I think it's, I, I think it rotates. I think it's cyclical and I think it rotates. Well, now, if you, if you stick around long enough, you see things come back, you know, and it's going to have to, because eventually, you know, a lot of people leave, even established stars leave. I mean, new blood is what really does keep the industry alive too. Well, I mean, how many Rolls Royces can a porn star have? <laughs> Two or three, maybe four. I don't know. Uh, you know, how many homes can she own? At this point, it looks like a lot of the bigger names are really getting into starting their own productions too. At least on the 
you know, the OnlyFans side of it, like they're up in their production value. Like it's not just them with a webcam. Yeah. You know, the, their OnlyFans content is becoming like edited and stepping up to closer to studio quality product. Yeah. But what happens when OnlyFans goes down? Well, that is, that is something that I've addressed with people before too. Is like, why would you have all your eggs in that basket? Especially because, you know, you're, you understand this better than anybody. You're not signing an individual contract with OnlyFans. You're agreeing to a TOS that they could revise whenever the hell they want. Yep. And they just revised it. And they're like, yeah, we want rights to all your content now. Did they? Yes. Oof. Yeah, that, that went over. I saw a lot of people tweeting about that. A lot of people hit me up on DMs and like, what does this mean? Like, <laughs> you don't want to know what this means. You know. What does that mean? actually mean for them like i don't i i honestly i don't have it in front of me so to 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 do a legal review of the change of tos is not really something that i was planning on doing um but what i can tell you is is that they are stepping beyond just the normal tos that you would usually find on a platform kind of tos's that i've written for platforms where they want a little bit more rights and i think why they want to do that is they may be working on a reality show and they want to be able to use some of the clips on their reality show or something like that, or they're trying to package a movie, who knows, you know, but they want to be able to, to freely use people's content for whatever they see fit is know, there, to make uh, money off of it. Is there additional compensation built into them owning those rights? Like if they turn around and use that content, could they, do they have to compensate the performer for it or no. is it? Oh, that's rough. I know Facebook has a, a similar TOS with your pictures. Like it's in Facebook technically has the right to use any picture you post on Facebook. But for the average Facebook user, none of us really have to worry about Facebook wanting to use our fucking media. Yeah. But if you're an adult performer, especially a fucking popular one, oh, they could definitely put out a compilation, you know, series of your content and be like, yep, enjoy. I, I don't I don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't I don't I mean, but see them. Yeah, but I don't see OnlyFans going into that model. Okay, I I don't. They they just make they they just make far too much money to to try to become a producer. They're a platform. But like I said, what what I do see them wanting to do with it is if we want to make OnlyFans the movie. And we want to throw up, you know, uh, a collage and we're putting up a two second shot of your picture and a three second shot of their picture and a 10 second shot of their picture and a little. So this way they have a right to do whatever they want like that with it. Well, and they also where could, they don't have to go back and, and, and pay the, the performer for a, a brief glimpse of their content. Yeah. Or hell, it could be marketing material, too. Could be marketing material. Exactly. Like, oh, hey, but he, but. But most of the times, that's already written in. The TOSs I've written for platforms, they have a right to use it for marketing. Okay, Because the idea is, is that they're trying to draw traffic to the platform, which will then benefit the people that are, that are on the platform. And I'm sure OnlyFans may be looking at it that way too. Like, like all of a sudden, if we did OnlyFans the movie, we could raise revenue for everybody. So therefore, everybody, you know, if everybody contributes to this project by donating their content, then we'll all make more money. But I think it's going to piss off a lot of people, yes. Oh, I'm sure. But there's also, they could, down the road if they want to, 
changes the rev split too, right? They could just revise that. Yeah, they could, but they won't. I don't think they'll do that. There's too much pressure from other platforms for them to change that rev split. Plus, I don't think they need to. They they've already with the change to the affiliate, they fucked enough people. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, at one point, OnlyFans was giving a lifetime rev share. And on May 1st, I think it changes. I think that's the date. Uh, and now you'll have a payout of no more than $50,000 per model that you've referred. You know, not small change by no means. Right. You know, you've referred 10 models and they all make enough money. You've just made a half a million dollars off of OnlyFans. But it's probably one-tenth of what you would have made if they would have kept the model the same way. You know, you probably could have made a million or five hundred or uh, five hundred thousand million, two million off of rev share on the models that you referred over. Yeah, that that's a huge hit. It, 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 a lot of people are going to take a huge hit for that. Yes. So, do you think they're going to try to push people to other platforms at that point? That have no, more... I think they're making. I I I see a class action lawsuit happening with that one, but who knows? You well, know. at that point. With the legal system looking like it is, and what you're talking about, they'll get settled in 10 years? Well, it'll probably be arbitration. It'll probably be arbitration. But still, that that's wild. That That is absolutely wild for them to change it up like that. Well, everybody's trying to make more money, even OnlyFans. Eh. You can't really blame them. And they're like, oh, we have this platform that is making money hand over fist. We might as well make a little more if we can. Well, they're the 800-pound grill in the room. They do whatever they want. Well, yeah, especially because they're also partially owned by MFC, so they had money to begin with. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I personally, I think where we're OnlyFans really made all their money off of is the United States government. Really? Yes. Yeah, I think it's been very clear that whenever these um, stimulus checks have gone out, a lot of that money has found its way onto the platform. Or into porn just in general. That's what I'm seeing from my clients. I'm seeing that, you know, there's a lot of people who still have their jobs that are still making the same amount of money. And while they're not rich by no means, the $1,400 is like play money. It's not like, it's like, we don't need this to pay our bills. We don't need this to pay the rent. We don't need this to buy food. And then all of a sudden, the $1,400 is now like, woohoo, it's porn money. I can finally join, you know, so-and-so's OnlyFans thing. And I can, you know, chat with her and tip her and stuff like that. Yeah, somebody did. I don't know where it was, but somebody, one of the platforms put out like how their their income spiked after the stimulus checks were passed out. I mean, it makes sense because in the grand scheme of things, those stimulus checks were not going to keep anybody afloat who was really drowning. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, let's just give it to everybody at, well, not everybody. A- anybody, un- I think it's 100,000 you're making. On the first check, it was like 100. I think I got lowered to 80 on the second one and then like even lower on the third one. And, but if you're married, it was still in like the low hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people out there making 80,000 that are just like, well, I got my stimulus check and I didn't really need it. So now, you know, Bambi on OnlyFans is going to get, you know, a sign up today. Yeah, uh, hey, don't, I, I'm not I'm not complaining. Some of that money has found its way to me because people <laughs> were like, hey, you know what? I, I want to start a porn company. 
And, you know, you have that legal A to Z consult thing that you do. How much is that? Oh, okay. Let's do that. So even some of that stimulus money has found its way to me as far as people who want to break into the industry. So I'm not going to. I suppose you're not doing a $1,400 special for it. Like, exactly $1,400. let us do it. <laughs> Actually, my price is $1,250. Oh. Hey, they have some, you know, they can go buy a nice yeah, lunch after yeah, trying. Yeah, I'm trying to give them a little play money at, you know, at the end. <laughs> so, but yeah, I've gotten, I'm in, in the past, you know, six weeks, I guess, since the checks came out or something like that, or four weeks, I've seen a noticeable uptick in the number of calls and emails I've gotten about, hey, I'm really interested in taking that seminar consult that you have. You know, everybody, everybody wants to be a porn star. Uh, I, I feel like it's everyone who wants everyone who wants to be a porn star is the people who don't truly understand what they're getting themselves into. I mean, there's definitely people who still want to do it afterwards, but once you know you find out what actually goes into it, I'm sure it turns some people off too. You know, I have that talk all the time with guys who call me up and I'm just like, why do you want to do this? Why? Why? They're like, oh, because it's so cool. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. It's not so cool. I go, they have a really shitty job. They have a, a tremendously shitty job, you know? Oh, yeah. And so they just they 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 think it's all glamorous and, you know, it's all cool. It's like, you know. Porn does a good job of selling that to guys. Well, I, I think guys are just thinking with their dicks. They're just like, oh, my God, that guy's getting paid to bang that girl. And that's yeah. the whole thought process that they put into it. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, but, but, but the guys who contact me, they're trying to start up their own little POV companies. And so they want to pay to bang the girl. And I'm like, do, do you realize that you're not going to enjoy it? I mean, you know, it's not. You want to have fun, hire an escort. Right. Hire an escort. Because when you're trying to make a movie, it's work. You know, if you're truly honestly trying to do this as a, a job or a or a company, you know, this is not fun. It's not fun. No. If 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 you're just trying to have sex with hot chicks, just pay an escort and leave the camera at home and enjoy yourself. Exactly. Because when you're actually making movies, your co-star may not be into you at all. And when the camera's not rolling. She doesn't have to pretend to be. And if you're not like a professional male talent, you may not be able to deal with that. <laughs> yes. I, I always tell the same story. The saddest day on set, on any set, and this is true so many times, is, you know, I've been on set, you've been on set, is that you're standing there and, you know, the male talent can't get hard for whatever reason. He's just not getting hard. And... You know, they call break. They, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's focus is in on what's going on in front of the camera. And then they call break and then everybody's focus kind of drifts away. The female talents, you know, calling your boyfriend on the phone, the director and the PA are over there at the crafts table, you know, dipping carrots and broccoli into ranch dressing, chomping away. You know, somebody walks outside to have a cigarette. And in the corner of the room, all by himself, is the male talent feverishly jerking off, trying to get hard just so he can keep the, the, the scene going. And you just look over and you go, how sad is this? Like everybody else is kind of like, you know, they're just 
living their lives, doing their normal thing. They're having this conversation. They're joking and laughing around. She's on the phone. He's smoking a cigarette. And there's just some naked dude in the corner trying to, like, focus so hard and jerk off. And I'm like, I'd hate to be that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's got to be the worst feeling in the world. Like, everybody's counting on me, and I'm failing. I'm failing. And eventually, the crew's going to just be annoyed because every porn crew just wants to go home. That's it. That's what every. That's what, and that's what I tell everybody too. Like, listen, you know, they don't want to be there. They're there to make money. Okay, they don't care about the porn. They just want to shoot it and go home. The longer you take, the more they're gonna hate you. Yeah. The male talent that are loved in this business are the guys who get it done and get it over with. One hundred percent. What? Because it it could be fucking long days on set, and if you're making them longer, like. Nobody loves yeah. you. No one. But guys want to do it. Yeah. I don't know why. Because they haven't given any critical thought to what actually goes into the job. That is the only mm-hmm. reason anyone wants to be male talent, as far yeah. as I can tell. Starting off, once you're in and you're successful at it, I can understand why you stick around. I don't even know about that. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know about that. It's not an easy job. I oh. really, you know. Oh, it's definitely not an easy job, but. I mean, there's got to be a reason that there's talent that sticks around. Like, they're maybe even making half the, you know, the girls' rates, making more there than they would doing something else. I don't know. Well, yeah, but it's a very lonely existence for most male talent, from what I can see. I mean, it's kind of a lonely existence for most talent, from what I can see. Well, the, the women in the business can get boyfriends, okay? They can, they can but have girlfriends. They, they can get husbands. Listen, I, I, I was with a porn star for 13 years. So it's not like I'm not aware of this. But I think, you know, guys are a little bit more, I guess, understanding of the nature of the work. And we're okay with it. Whereas it, I think it's a lot harder for male talent to find women that are okay with their jobs. It's true. But you also, at least on the female side... From what I've seen, a lot of female talent has to kiss a lot of toads before they find their prince in a lot of cases. What, female talent? Yeah, they, they, end, guys. They, yeah, they end up going through a bunch of guys who say they're cool with it and end up not being cool with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no no civilian guys ever cool with it. You know, that's and that's the problem that a lot of porn stars, female porn stars make, I think, is they'll meet a civilian guy and I, I call it the six or eight date rule. <laughs> like usually like by the sixth or eighth date, they're like, oh, when are you going to get a real job? And the girl's like, what do you mean when am I going to get a real job? Uh, this is what I do. This is what I did when you met me. Why would I change? Well, you know, because we're getting serious now. We've been on, you know, six or eight dates. And, you know, I, you know, while it was cool when we met, I don't, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to know that you're doing this every day. And so, yeah, there's a lot of guys who can't hang with it. A lot of guys who can't hang with it. And, yeah, I do feel sorry for the women that have to go through that, you know. And I, I'm friends with them, and I see their Facebook posts over and over and over again, how they're complaining about a relationship breakup. Or, I can't believe this guy did this to me. And I can't – we was so perfect. And I can't believe – you know, stop dating civilians. Stop dating civilians. But there's also hurdles with dating other performers, too. We've both seen that as well. 
not performers. There's a whole bunch of people around the industry that aren't civilians and they aren't performers. Directors, editors, lawyers, podcast hosts, co-stars, you know, there's a ton of guys that are in and around the industry that get the industry. They understand it. They understand what your job is. They understand that it's not, you know, the fantasy. They understand it sucks, that it's a job, that you come home and you're tired. And you may not want to have sex because you just had to have sex for 12 hours on set. And so there's a lot of people around the industry that get it. And I think those are the I, I think those are the successful relationships. I agree. You know, it's like, hey, girl, you got home. Let me draw you an Epsom salt bath. It's been a rough day. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Here's a bag of peas, a frozen peas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yes. And you, you and I both understand what the frozen pea <laughs> thing is, you know, and anybody who's watching this are like, well, what do you mean about frozen peas? Well, that if, you know, if you've been around the industry, you know why, you know, frozen peas are good. It helps with swelling people. It yes. helps with swelling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know what, though? Now with OnlyFans, it doesn't matter because it's not, you know, the, the the performers in the industry no longer have to be, you know, performers. They're just content creators. They could be solo. They could be nude. They could be not nude. It's just, you know, they don't have to worry about that. So I, I really I do think that, you know, trying to tie this all together is that where porn has started and where it's gone to and where it is today from what I've seen, you know, we're in the age of the performer. And I, I think it's awesome. I think it's really awesome that the, the the performers can make the amount of money that they can make today. Oh yeah. I, I mean, when I first started, there were perform. I mean, you know, I was a much younger attorney, so I was, I was making good money, but I wasn't making great money. And even back then, performers were out, you know, earning me, even as an attorney, if they were a top performer. I mean, I remember, did, did you ever remember Gold Star Modeling? Before remember my time. Gold Star? I think that was before my time. Yeah, it was like 2004, 2005. Definitely and before so my time. <laughs> I was their attorney, but I was also friends with the owner, so we would talk. And I, I knew everything about his business, and I knew how often people were getting booked and how much they were getting paid. I mean – and the the even back then the top the top female performers were getting paid you know a thousand twelve hundred dollars a scene even back then and they were booked thirty days out sixty days out there was one one female performer that I know of where she was booked solid for six for sixty days so she was making thirty thousand a month back then you know which was great money but nowadays you're talking about like you know. Even not the greatest performers can make thirty thousand a month on OnlyFans. Yeah. The great performers could be making a hundred thousand dollars a month on OnlyFans. One hundred percent. But also in these days, don't get in the industry unless you're willing to be like a full-on content creator. Like the days of just showing up to set, getting a paycheck, and going home are done. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. You'll you'll starve. But I, but I I I don't I, I just don't see people coming into the industry that are like that. I think performers are more intelligent, they're more creative, they're more skilled. They come to the industry knowing that they have to be creator, uh, creators, not just performers. And I think that's something that, that they all can do. What level of success do they have at creating content? Well, that's just a matter of time and experience. You know, yeah, they may start off shooting everything on an iPhone, 
But, you know, six months, a year, year and a half later, they probably switch from an iPhone to a, a real camera. You know, they've gone from a ring light to real lights. You know, they've upgraded. And so I think that's just the, that's just earning some money to get the ball rolling. Yeah, and getting experience learning how to do the shit, you know. Because it's, it's not, not easy. And it's not easy. I mean, I do shit all the time. I am still not good at lighting. I feel like I will never be good at lighting. Yeah, it's a skill. It's it's a lot of different skill sets that you have to have now as a content creator. You know, you've got to be a good editor. You've got to, you should be able to make your own music. Um, you should be able to know how you're, you're to light a set and how to white balance a camera. So there's a lot of little things that you need to know as a content creator that, yeah, you know, that performer that was making a thousand dollars a day, you know, she just showed up on set, fucked and went home. Yep. You know, she made that thousand dollars and she worked probably six hours for it and went home, you know, didn't have to do anything else except call up her agent and ask what the next day shoot was about. Where right. now to make that same thousand dollars a day, content creators are working 12 hours, 16 hour, 18 hour days. Oh yeah. Cause you also add in the fact that like, since only fans interactive, you never really get downtime if you're really chasing that dollar. No, you don't. No, I, I remember my ex-wife, you know, she'd wake up in the morning and the first thing she would do would be hop on OnlyFans and she'd be on OnlyFans probably for four hours. And then she would start editing and shooting and then she'd take a break from that and hop back on OnlyFans and answer and then go back to editing. So it was constant. It was, you know, from the time she woke up and at night when she was done editing and she was too tired to edit, she would hop back on OnlyFans to to answer and talk to guys. And so, yeah, it, it was a full-time job. It's a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, um, I can't remember. It's all, it, it's a lot of work. Oh, it's, it's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And that's why, like, there's definitely girls that are hiring out third-party agencies to do the social interaction part of OnlyFans. Other people have talked about it on here. I can't just, it's. The, the cat's out of the bag on that. Really? I see this is, this is the thing that, okay. So if the cat's out of the bag, I, well, this is where I think only fans fails. Okay. Like at some point, like, you, you know, like I'm of the age of phone sex. Okay. So that was a big thing when I was growing up, I never did it. But, you know, there was always 800 numbers in the back of every magazine. Hell, there used to be 800 900 number ads in front of the porn. I remember, like, yeah. watching Vivid Products in, like, the 90s where, like, the yeah. the talent who was the star of whatever I was watching was doing a 900 number ad before they fucking started the, the scenes. Yep. And so, you know, you would call up and, you know, the joke was always that you get you hear this really sexy voice on the phone. And the person behind it could have been 60 years old and weighed 300 pounds, but the voice was enough to, to, to get you off. And, you know, they could talk and, and that at, at least then you were like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I'm talking to a woman, you know, I'm pretty sure this is a woman that I'm talking to. It's probably not, not the woman in the picture. It's probably not the porn star, but I'm pretty sure at least it's a girl. I know she's got a vagina. And so you felt okay about doing it. But now, like, you have no idea who you're chatting with. You have no idea. 
you could be talking to the husband. You could be talking to the boyfriend. You could be talking to the manager. You could be talking to some other guy, some girl, some other guy. You have no idea. And guys are okay with this? I mean, ignorance is bliss. I think they just, you know, oh, yeah, I'm definitely talking to her. Do they really think that Riley Reed has nothing better to do at four o'clock in the morning than chat with them? Maybe. I don't know. I've never been that delusional. I have never I have never been that delusional in my life where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's four o'clock in the morning. I mean, listen, listen, I get suspension of disbelief. Okay, I mean, people do that. If we didn't have suspension of disbelief. We wouldn't enjoy movies like Jurassic Park or Star Wars. Okay? Right. Like we have to suspend that 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 little voice in our head going, oh, this isn't real. This is fake. Look at that. The the Tyrannosaurus Rex looks fake. So you have to suspend that to enjoy the movie. But when you're tipping somebody and you're expecting to talk to somebody, is it uh, do you really suspend that disbelief and go, Yeah, you know what? It's probably not her, but it's okay. But Michael, you gotta remember. There's dudes that regularly fall for like flat out scammers on social media too. Where you have, this is my private fans account. Send me money and dudes fall for it all the time. So if a dude's going to fall for that, a dude is definitely going to fall for an actual authorized only fans. God, I wish I had no ethics. I wish I had no ethics. I'd be like, Send me $5,000 and I'll get you into the industry. <laughs> Always wanted to be a porn star. Always wanted to appear in films with your favorite female star. Send me $5,000 and I'll make it happen. <laughs> I mean, you technically could? No, that would be fraud. No. Well, no, <laughs> I technically could. I mean, you'd just start up Federosity Pictures and then you'd just put them in a scene. That would be prostitution. <laughs> Not if you're making content, right? Well, are they paying for the content? Well, hmm. They'd be a producer. Well, I'm in Rotterdam. Nothing's happening. <laughs> Coming soon from Matt Slayer, Federosity Pictures. But that's, but you know, I guess you could do it that way. You could pay $5,000 and get into a scene, but then, you know, you'd have to like pool the money so that money wasn't going towards their scene. Yeah. And you give them a producer credit. I think a lawyer was. I, I think a lawyer was doing this out of Florida at one point. I really do. Not surprising. Yeah, I know. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> can't do it from Rotterdam anyway. But well, I mean, you definitely could. You just have to hire people back in LA. Yeah. <laughs> you have to understand. Uh, I used to have a huge staff at my office, and and the words "hire someone" now is sort of like uh, uh, I, I just. <laughs> I couldn't imagine having employees again. No offense to employees. You guys are great. The world needs ditch diggers, but I just couldn't imagine having employees again. Having to deal with their drama and their bullshit. No, it's just the one thing that I realized when I had a big firm and I had, you know, four or five attorneys. I had, you know, underneath me, I had seven staff. I had big offices I made so little money back then, you know, because they're like, oh, what's it like to work for yourself? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't work for myself. I work for my employees. (laughs) They get paid first. I get paid last. So every day I go to work, I earn money to give it to them. Well, 
once again, those ethics, that, that's why. Yeah. There's plenty of bad employers out there who are like, eh, I'm going to make sure I get mine first and my employees maybe get theirs. Yeah, well, that I could never do. I could just never do that. Well, it's good. It's a good thing. The world needs more people like that instead of people who are like, mm, I don't care if you starve. I'm gonna yeah, I, that is beyond me how somebody could be like that. That is very much beyond me. Uh, I mean, the, there was a study that I may be talking completely out of my ass here, but I'm pretty sure there was a study that shows that a lot of like Fortune 500 company CEOs are mostly sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. They're like one step away from being a serial killer. Yeah. Yes. So. That was my nickname, Serial Killer, but I was a compassionate serial killer. <laughs> Just ease them into the darkness. <laughs> so, I don't know. What else is there from the legal front? Uh, what else? I mean, there's got to be other litigation going on that's pertinent to the biz that you're seeing. I mean, you know, a lot of times it's now kept quiet, so you don't really see it. Um I, I think right now we're we're not in a period of heavy litigation because, you know, believe it or not, when people are making money, that's when they sue less. You know, when people are not making money and they're fighting over the scraps, that's when they sue more. So right now the the industry's flush in cash. So, you know, people aren't really suing each other. And you don't you're not really seeing much lit- litigation. And with less people on sets, I'm sure you're seeing less like injury, workers' comp claims, stuff like that. Yeah, notice, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but we haven't had a he raped me situation in a while, right? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm knock on wood on that shit. Yeah, I haven't seen that recently. I haven't seen like a big, like, Me Too type of situation in an adult where there's been a new performer that's been, you know, caught a bunch of allegations. I haven't seen that. Yeah, but that's, you know, would content creators working for themselves. But though, I don't know if you saw that article in the Rolling Stone. Did you see that? Mm. About the content uh, house going bad. I guess there was some people out of, uh, was it Texas? It could have been Texas. I don't know. What they were doing is there was a couple who set up a, uh, a content house and other girls would come and live there at the house and they would uh, all share in the content. And then I guess, you know, a bunch of allegations of sexual abuse and, and mistreatment stem from that. But that's, you know, it's not part of the industry because they're not, they're amateur content producers out of Texas and don't shoot for mainstream porn companies. But that was the most recent one that I saw. Well, and those situations just always seem to go bad because it's like you're inviting a bunch of strangers into your home to make content and then personalities personality conflicts happen just weird stuff always seems to come out of those situations i i never in a million years understand why anyone would put themselves in those situations i don't get it sex and money fair fair i mean fair but i don't know i like both sex and money i'm still not going to invite a bunch of strangers over in my house (laughs) yeah (laughs) well have how old are you now? 40. Four zero? Yes, sir. Well, you're getting close to the get off my lawn age. So, <laughs> But I wouldn't have done that shit in my 20s either. 
Really? You wouldn't have done it in your 20s? Fuck no. Fuck wow. no. I don't know. I'm very big on, like, my space is my fucking space. Like, if I had the means, I might have rented out a facility just to do that. I mean, there was talk when I was living in Vegas about, like, opening up a physical cam studio. But I wouldn't have fucking lived in it. Well, I got the when I when I divorced my first wife and I got into the industry, I had the pleasure of living. Well, basically, I had a really nice house and the agent that I represented liked to use my house as a model house. So he had his own model house. But whenever that was full, he would ship the the overloads to to me. So I had, you know, a four bedroom house. So at any one time I was living there as a single guy, I had three porn stars living with me. So it was fun. It, I, I have no complaints about it. Wow. I have none whatsoever. See, that sounds like hell on earth to me right now. Like that sounds like hell on absolute earth. Like, nope. I, I, there was there. I, I literally had to evict someone. She was a pretty big star and she had some drug problems and she wanted to come stay. And I said, listen, here's the deal. You can come stay, but no drugs inside the house. Okay. I don't care what you do outside the house. I, you know, I, I, I'm not your father, but I don't want anything happening in the house where I have my name on the lease. And so, of course, what did she do? She moved in and spent four days up in her room smoking crack. So I literally, and then like she moved her boyfriend in like that. That was the one nightmare that I had. That was it. But she, it wasn't even a nightmare. It's not like she stole anything from me. It's not like she broke anything. She was just sitting up in her room smoking crack all day. You know, 35-year-old me was pissed off. 52-year-old me would have been like, eh, let her smoke crack. I don't give a shit. Just don't go on my lawn. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I could put up with it. I just, I, I could not. I, I, just, I like my space too much. Yeah, that that's absolutely wild that you would, even at 35, be cool with a bunch of random, like, did you at least vet these performers before they lived under your roof or? No, <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of showed up. Um, two of them turned out to be pretty big stars. Two of them turned into pretty major porn stars, which was interesting. One girl, um, she turned into a reality show star. Her name was Frenchie and she was this Angelique Morgan, I think was her name. And her reality show name was Frenchie. She appeared on a bunch of different reality was shows. Was she on like she Rock was, of Love or some shit? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Blonde hair, bleach blonde hair, tiny little body, French accent. You know, it was always cool because anytime she came to stay with me, her bedroom always smelled like a French bordello. So it was pretty cool. Nice. <laughs> nice. Always smelled nice. And then there was another uh, couple that would stay with me. Um, and he still, they're divorced, but, um, she went on, she got onto Fox reality shows and then she left the industry, but, uh, her ex-husband was Jack Vegas. Do you know Jack Vegas? Oh yeah. I know Jack. I mean, I met Jack when he was married to Bonnie. Yeah. To who? Bonnie Rotten. No, you're, thi oh, no, no, you're that's thinking about Jack Spade. Jack Spade. Right. No, Spade, Jack Vegas. Vegas, Vegas Spade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Jack Vegas, he's been a male performer for years. Um, it was funny because when they, they both moved in from Boston and she was Italian and he was Irish. And, you know, they got into a fight one day <laughs> and he punched a window. And literally, I had to 
like he didn't want to go to the hospital. So I had to stitch up his hand. So there I am in my kitchen with a needle and thread and, <laughs> you know, basically pouring, you know, Jack Daniels over his cut hand and he's swigging it out of the bottle. And I'm, you know, sewing up the, the, the skin on his hand that was cut from the glass. <laughs> the glamorous life of a porn lawyer. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I remember the first, the first week I represented uh, Joel from gold star. I'm sitting there, it's at his house and you know, he had the, the model house plus the office. Uh, he was running it out of the same place. Do you, do you remember Chico Wang? Were you here when Chico Wang was around? The name sounds familiar. I don't think I ever met him. Yeah, Chico cast a long shadow. He ended up uh, killing his girlfriend and killing himself. Um, but Joel and Chico were friends, and Joel was renting Chico's house in Reseda. And I remember sitting there, and it's like the first week I'm representing them, and I'm just bullshitting with Joel. And you know, a brand new girl comes in and she was on her period. And so back then, I, I don't know what they do now, but back then the common thing was to use a makeup sponge. They still do that. Sort of, they they still, still do that. Okay. And so she could not get the makeup sponge out. So he's really busy and she's asking him to get the makeup sponge out. And he looks at me and he's like, Michael, do you mind, you know, can you just go get the makeup sponge out for me? I'm like, what? excuse me, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have her sit on the sink, you know, have her spread really wide. And you're going to have to like go in there and, and, and like kind of, you know, feel around and you'll, you'll, you'll find it eventually and you'll get it out. <laughs> and she was okay with it because she wanted it out. She couldn't get her hand like into the, so there I am a week, you know, into representing this talent agent and I'm like doing a gynecological exam, you know, with my hand up somebody's vagina, trying to get a, a, a makeup sponge out. <laughs> Yeah, lots of lots of cool stories like that as a porn lawyer. <laughs> the thing is that I never thought I would have to do in my job as an attorney. I ended up doing because I was part of the industry. They don't teach you that one in law school, huh? Yeah, no, they don't. There's no makeup sponge removal classes in law school. <laughs> Vaginal extractions 101. No, nope, they don't. Not covered. <sighs> Maybe maybe Harvard will add it to the curriculum one of these days. Yeah, well, you know. And then there's walking the red carpets. There's a lot of times where I walked red carpets with girls and had to do the whole, you know, hold my purse, hold my jacket. <laughs> even just like even like not not even girlfriends or girls I was dating, but even just clients, I would walk the red carpet at ABN with, you know, and they would stop for a picture and I'd move out of the way and I'd have to sit there. And, the guys would just look at me like, who the fuck is this guy? Well, Why is he with her? I know. That's the that's the best look. Like, oh. And AVN or the, any of the other conventions just being around with talent and having other dudes being like, the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a paid employee, bro. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah. And then, then one time I, I was at Exotica and you, you've gone to Exotica, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot. Yeah. I would, a lot of work. Rodeoing for so, people at Exotica. So there, you know, you, you know how they throw their parties where there's like the roped off area for the porn stars and I, then the civilians. On as the other a, side. I lovingly refer to it as the porn star zoo. Yeah, exactly. So I'm standing in the porn star zoo, but I'm standing near the um, the rope, right? And I'm talking to my buddy, 
And I forgot why, but I'm like scrolling through my phone. And literally, like, you know, in my phone, I've got so many different porn star numbers, you know, with their I, I, I never call my clients by their real names. Everything in my phone is their porn name, everything I call them is their porn. So I, as I'm sitting there scrolling, there's another guy looking at my phone. He's like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, <laughs> what? He's like, you have like every major porn star phone number in your phone. I'm like, oh, oh, oh okay, yeah. I, I'm an attorney for the industry. He's like, I'll give you $5,000 for your phone right now. <laughs> like, no, you can't buy my phone. No. He's like, seriously, dude, I'll give you $5,000 for that phone right now. No, you're not getting it. Well, what you should have done is factory reset it and then just handed it to him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, done, man. You got the phone. Yeah. <laughs> You got yourself a brick for $5,000. Bravo. That is what we verbally agreed to. We did not agree to the contents. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of little interesting stories like that. Probably more that I've forgotten than I actually remember. Oh, uh, it just happens when you're around it for so long. It's like a lot of these things become commonplace. Like, yeah, I remember the, like the first couple of exoticas being in the porn star zoo and then like later on just being like, okay, we're just in another porn zoo. Cool. Like it, it loses, it loses a lot of its novelty after a while. Yeah. I kind of miss it though. I kind of do. I mean, you know, so when I got in like two of my best friends in the industry, okay. I met them at the same party and it was again, like, 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 like it happened a week after the, 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 the makeup sponge incident. And um, there was a pool party held by the agent at a male talent's house. And he brought all of his female talent. And like, it was just 20 or 30 naked porn stars just swimming in the pool. And every like male talent, every director, every producer was stopping by the pool party. You know, the, the, the barbecue was going, the music was playing. And, you know, it, it was like the first two weeks I was officially in the industry. And, you know, two guys that I'm still friends with today, I met at that party. But I, I don't know, does that even happen anymore in Porn Valley? I mean, it does to a degree. Um, there was definitely a male talent who's got a nice rental with a pool that was regularly throwing parties, you know, pre-COVID. And, oh, there was? Yeah, yeah. There was definitely... Some really fun parties, or just like everyone's hanging out poolside drinking, and a lot Were of they naked though. There's a lot naked? of nudity. Oh yeah, there's a, there lot, of a lot of nudity. A lot of nudity. I definitely remember after one of them was like thrown directly after like they would shot a bunch of scenes in the house, so people just like directly went from finishing the scene to like into the pool. No, okay. Like I didn't. I showed up in a timely fashion to when I the party started. Like they literally just wrapped shooting. I rolled in with a twelve pack and. I didn't know the host at the time. I was invited by one of the girls. He's like, hey, dude, what are you doing here? Like, hey, man, uh, I'm Matt Slayer. How's it going? She invited me. Here's beer. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad those are still happening. I'm glad those are still happening. That was some of the the fun part of being involved in the industry back in the mid-2000s. That was like what I call the golden age of porn. Because there was, you know, 
there's a ton of money now. There's so much more money now. But at that point, there was a ton of money because the tube sites hadn't hit yet. So the producers were making money. The DVD companies were shooting. The internet companies were shooting. The performers were working a lot. Everybody was happy. People were partying. It was just a really good time to be in the industry. Everybody was like, you know, there was a point in time where we sat down with the agent and we were trying to figure out on any given day how many scenes were being shot in the valley. And at that point, with with the rosters of the major agents that there were, knowing how many how many people were shooting every day, there was something along the lines of like three to five hundred scenes being shot every day. Damn. Every day. What? Damn. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is when Derek and L.A. Direct, he had a, over 100 girls. You know, Joel from Goldstar had over 100 girls. There was a couple of other agencies that were kind of up to 75 to 100 girls. So when you, you know, you were looking at the, the percentage, like not everybody was shooting every day, but a lot of people were working regularly. And you could figure that 70 percent of the roster was shooting on a regular regular day. So you got 70, 70, 70. That's 210 plus the smaller agents pushes you to like three to 400 a day. Yeah. Three to 400 scenes a day being shot. And that's now when, there's probably not even three or 400 scenes in a month being shot. Well, that, I mean, that depends if you're cutting like studio scenes, 100% I studios. agree. With you. Yeah. Yeah. Studio scenes. Yeah. Private content. I'm sure it's still way above that. Well, yeah. No, I'm talking about where somebody's cutting a check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not talking about content trades. Yeah. Way less, yeah, way less. I, I, yep. I don't even pre-COVID. I don't know many performers that were working five, six days a week. Even when, like, some of the girls I used to work for when I first got in were regularly doing studio scenes five, six days a week, and that was less than ten years ago. But what was it three years ago? Probably like two scenes a week. Yeah, I, I know some girls that were pretty popular that were signed to pretty big agencies that were like, I haven't shot in over a week. I haven't shot in two weeks. Wow. Like, yo, and, and these are girls that are not with small agents. It's just like, it has changed, but it'll survive and it'll go on. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the great thing about being an attorney is that I get to see like the, the um, backstage access, so to speak. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, Devil's Advocate. You ever mm-hmm. see that movie? Yeah, with uh, Pacino yeah. and uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, and Keanu Reeves asked Al Pacino, the devil, like, why be a lawyer? Why be a lawyer? You know, and he basically says the same thing. Like, we have backstage access to everything in the world. We know everything that's going on. You know, we we know all the secrets. And so, you know, that was the that was the really great thing about being a lawyer in the industry. Is you got to see all of the stuff. And then even like, you know, major news stories. I, there were so many cases that I was involved in that nobody knows I was ever involved in, but there were major news stories. So I got to have a lot of backstage access, you know, to a lot of the different fun parties and shit like that. And, you know, it's been a good career. I, I, I cannot complain about my career. And your career's not over yet, even though you're not physically here to go to the parties once they start again, but. Oh, I wish I could. Oh, I wish I could. But you know what? I've got Porno Dan. You know Porno Dan? Yes. Yeah. He's in Hungary porno, these porno, days, right? Por- yeah, he's in Budapest. Yeah. So 
he's a quick one hour flight away. So I can always, I can always count on Dan for porno parties in Budapest. Nice. (laughs) One of these days I got to make it over to Budapest and Prague. And like, I have, you know, a couple of performer friends that are living in Prague these days. Like I still haven't made it to that part of Europe. I I need to make it over, even if I was not to go to like a East, uh, you know, a European porn party, just to see the cities and see some people. Oh yeah, I mean, you you don't come here for the porn parties. You come here for for the 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 uh, the tourism stuff, the the visiting. Well, listen, if you make it over, you're more than welcome to stay with me in Rotterdam. It's not an exciting city. It's not Amsterdam, but it's a lot less tourist. And, you know, I live like smack dab in the center of the town. Like I'm dead in center of Rotterdam. So everything's around me. Well, it's a cool city. Once my, it reopens, and we don't have to catch COVID. Exactly. Well, and also my idea of tourism is to go into locals bars and be like, what should I check out in your city? What restaurants, bars should I check out in your city? I generally don't want to do actual tourism oh. stuff. We got a little bar right here that I used to go to that you would absolutely fucking die for. It's, you know, it's the only dive bar that I found so far around here, you know, at dartboards, you know, the bar has been around for close to 50 years. Uh, it was owned by the parents and now the son is running it and he owns it. And, you know, like there's probably bottles on the top shelf behind the bar that haven't been cleaned off since, you know, the bar opened 50 years ago. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael, let's get you out of here. But before you bounce, where can they find you on the things? You know, make use of your various legal services to start their POV companies and yes. get your fine <laughs> imported goods. Remember, twelve fifty, you'll have money to spend. Yep. Well, on Twitter, I'm at Porn Law, so that's easy. And then the website is adultbizlaw.com. So I'm pretty easy to find. Porn Law. Um, I'm always on there. You know, people send me DMs all the time. So I respond to all my all my DMs and all my tweets or whatever. And then Adult Bizlaw, it's got my contact page with my email address and my office phone. And where oh, can they find she, uh, the, the imports before uh, you run? Masa Imports, Masa, M-A-S-S-A, ImportsBV.com. Cool. And like I said, I ship all over the world. Free shipping to the United States. Come check me out. Definitely. Thank Mike, you, Matt. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure it. as always. Thank you. We'll, come, be, come visit me in Rotterdam when you have time. Oh, yeah. No, and it's safe to do so. I will definitely be back to Europe. I'm I, I'm dying. It's been since 2018 was the last time I left the States, so I'm itching. Come visit. I will. And as always, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F and Slayer on Facebook, twitch.tv slash Matt F and Slayer. You can find the podcast, and now we drink on Twitter, and now we drink underscore on Instagram. And until next week, drink up, motherfuckers. 